rewind 2,608 years. While Jerusalem was being destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 to 586 B.C., Jeremiah wrote this song that includes these verses. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and it is sinking down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul that seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust. There may yet be hope to give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults, for the Lord will not reject forever. Although He causes grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone when the prisoners of the land are crushed underfoot, when human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, when one's case is subverted, does not the Lord see it? Who can command and have done it? If the Lord has not ordained it, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should any who draw breath complain about the punishment of their sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Now that's the fuller context of what we just read and the song we just sang. And it reminds me of another passage of Scripture that begins, there is a time for everything under heaven. There is a time to be sad, to mourn over the way things used to be versus the way they are now. However, I'm here to tell you, because it's part of my job today, that it is an illusion to think that the way things used to be 
were ever actually the way that they used to be. Nor does it have anything to do with circumstances or times. Plus, they weren't actually as romantic as our past filters create them in our memories. Maybe the way things used to be has more to do with how you used to feel, what you used to believe before, and somebody back me up on this, before the world got a hold of you. It's what Don Henley called the end of the innocence. When Taylor Swift got super famous years ago, singing about failed relationships, singing things like, we are never, ever, ever getting back together, to what felt like a string of ex-boyfriends, someone on the World Wide Web satirically suggested that she might consider writing a song called, Maybe It's Me. And while I am in no way suggesting that these odd times that we live in are your fault or the fault of T-Swift, when it comes to my daily walk with God, well, that is up to me. And I think sometimes we have to just like cast off everything and just say, wait, hang on a second, time out, as crazy as things are, or as crazy as it seems, When this really comes down to it, I'm the one who lays my head down on the pillow at night, and I have to decide, what about my walk with God? Your daily walk with God is up to you. Can I get a witness? All three of the books of the Bible that we know as Zephaniah, we started with this morning, Jeremiah and Lamentations were written during the time when everything completely fell apart in Jerusalem. And that's not a metaphor, that's not an exaggeration, I mean literally everything fell apart at the hands of the Babylonians in Jerusalem. It was the end of things. Flags were lowered, doors were shuttered, contracts were signed, and that was it. When Zephaniah warned Jerusalem of Babylon's marching footsteps growing closer and closer The exile was imminent. He said such things, but then, you know what Zephaniah did? He tacked on one promise of God. Right at the very end, very end, at 3.20, of three chapters of just, it's basically depressing to read Zephaniah. But one verse, one verse at the very end of Zephaniah, you know what God says in 320? I will bring you home. And there are some times when one verse at the very end is enough to sustain you for a lifetime. And you know how we will be able to tell that God is back in charge again? I know God's always in charge, but you know what I mean, right? The way it feels. You know how we're going to be able to tell? According to Zephaniah, here's what Zephaniah says. Our speech will be pure again. All you got to do is look around 
and say, well, it isn't pure now. Well, it will be again. That's the promise. That's what sustains us. Our focus will be on the name of the Lord, and all will be in one accord. But first comes the end, before this new beginning. This is nothing new. It may feel like this is new these days, but only because we are in the middle of it. But the truth is, at the risk of sounding melodramatic, we face these endings all the time. And we, we have been for years. This is nothing new. We face these endings all the time. You finish high school, college, things change, you move, you retire, and on and on and on. And during those times when things come to an end, it is important to grieve if you need to grieve. The worst thing we can do as Jesus followers is sing happy clappy songs when it is time to grieve. And I like happy clappy songs, don't, don't get me wrong, but they're not always appropriate. Sometimes you need a good old lament to be honest with God and sing to God to the background of heavy, distorted guitars. Try this on for size. Hear this word of the Lord again from Lamentations 3 that I started this sermon with and see if you would put this to music, what the music would sound like. For the Lord will not reject forever, although He causes grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. When all the prisoners of the land are crushed underfoot, when human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, when one's cause is subverted, does not the Lord see it? Anybody want to put that to music? First of all, if you set that to music, it would not be a lilting piano. It would be distorted guitars and heavy drums, just saying. Second, and this is where you and I come in during this confusing year of our Lord 2022, that verse in that song from Lamentations 3 is filled with one main ingredient. You know what it is? Contradiction. Here's direct quotes. I'm going to just read direct quotes. You ready? Although he causes grief... He does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. The abundance of His steadfast love, human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, does not the Lord see it. Okay, because third, contradiction is a mark of poetry. Poetry is very comfortable with contradiction. And you know why? Because poetry reflects real life. This is poetry that struggles with reality, real reality that's bigger than my personalized news feed. Lamentations does not dumb down the rhetoric just because our culture has chosen to be incapable of actually holding two thoughts at once. And like Taylor Swift, I'm left with one big realization. Maybe it's me. 
But this time, it's not that I caused it, although maybe, who knows. But instead, our call on days like today is just to sit in the confusion, in the contradiction, in the questions, and sing a good old church song where the chorus begins, when one's case is subverted, does not the Lord see it? Now, let's take a deep breath. After a little while, when the exiles had been captives, oppressed prisoners in Babylon, Jeremiah wrote them a letter. Jeremiah wrote to teach them, to assure them that the wicked will completely come to an end and no one will ever oppress you or harm you or abuse you ever again. If you have ever been held captive, emotionally or physically, if you have ever been taken advantage of, this is God's way of saying that a time is coming, and it is coming soon, when that will no longer be a part of our experience. And that, right there, is the new creation that keeps us going. It's like this promise from Romans 8 that we've been proclaiming during this whole series. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because no matter where you go, God is waiting there for you, waiting for us, fulfilling a promise to a remnant of people who keep saying yes to God, who will never separate us from the love of God that we know in Christ Jesus. Can I get a witness. And that is why I'm inviting all of us to sing the songs today that especially proclaim the letter to the exiles from a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah came in at the end. You ever feel that way? Like you came in at the end of things? You know who else felt that way? Jeremiah, and everyone he talked to, and especially when he wrote them this letter. Not the whole book of Jeremiah. I'm talking about, the. do you know about the letter of, of Jeremiah to the exiles? If you don't, you're in for a treat. By the time Jeremiah arrived on the scene, everyone in the neighborhood had a whitewashed picket fence, a Buick in the driveway, two kids lived upstairs, dad wore a tie, and mom wore pearls. But Jeremiah 
came to remind them that all those lovely things are not the things of God, but rather they're our little comforts that are going to be 100% meaningless when tomorrow morning we all wake up in exile in Babylon. Because I assure you, we will. But do you know what will never, ever be meaningless? It doesn't matter if we're upstairs in the air conditioning in Jerusalem or we are by the rivers of Babylon. One thing is never going to change. That nothing will never, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, you can choose to believe that, or maybe you won't. My job today is just to show you a promise. But it's a little more than that. It's also to bear witness, to tell you not only that you can believe it, but I think you should. I think you should believe it. And this is where Jeremiah's letter comes in. And it comes in not at the end of things, but after the end had already come. People woke up in Babylon. I don't know, y'all. Sometimes I think we're already there. I think we're already in exile. Either way, Jeremiah's letter to a hopeful remnant rings truer now than it has for generations. Because depending on where you are, these things ring true every day. Exile and disorientation and, yes, contradiction are all in need of God and home and redemption. But don't take my word for it. I'm just the messenger. See for yourself. Before you hear the letter of Jeremiah to the exiles, let me put it in one more context. Before you hear this, let me encourage you not to hear some other things. Don't listen to your TV. Don't listen to hate-filled podcasts. Don't listen to politicians who hold up Bibles and quote Scripture and simply tell people what our itching ears want to hear. Because if you are not at least occasionally challenged and even convicted by the Word of God, then the Bible might as well be nothing more than yet another news feed that has been so specifically tailored to my personal likes that all I ever hear is what I already believe. But the wonderful, awesome, good news of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Jeremiah 29 is that the people, even in exile, even when they are in Babylon, are told by God, to keep on living. Live. Live. Don't stop living. Don't just live out the rest of your life in an old smelly chair of frustration. Get out and live. Get married. Have kids. Learn new things for crying out loud. Learn new things. 
Don't give in to the lies of today that are actually encouraging us to lock down our intellect, or what's worse, to treat discontent as though it were a virtue. And on top of it all, work. While you are in exile, even pray for the city where you live, because for the time being, it's your city. This Babylon that is my home, even though we know that no matter where we are, the height of the mountain or the depth of the valley, whether personal demons or the better angels of our nature, even here in Babylon, you are receiving a personal invitation from God in the form of an ancient letter penned by an old prophet named Jeremiah. So without further ado, these are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsa, son of Shaphan, and Gemara. You can tell I've started reading Jeremiah 29, right? I didn't put all this in my sermon. Son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes 
and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. In order to survive in this world, I have to believe that God will never, ever, ever leave us nor forsake us. Even if at times it feels like we are in the middle of a 70 years era, much like the original recipients of this letter. So I have to believe. But you have to decide for yourself. If I can be of any help, though, I will tell you that it is going to be a better choice for you to live, to thrive, to walk with God, even in exile. But that's up to you. My hope, my prayer, is that everyone within earshot of Jeremiah's old letter this morning will speak right now, will send forth a cascade of amens whenever I offer this simple invitation. Can I get a witness?